Welcome back, everybody. This is the Connection Podcast. We're going through our greatest hits. This is going to be volume four for season one, and it's probably going to be our last greatest hits recording. I know. I know there's plenty more great moments. I encourage you guys to go back and listen to our full audio library. I think we had 28 episodes for season one. So there's there's lots to dig into. We are so excited about season two coming up in only a week. We are going to have a bunch of episodes released in the next two months. So there's something to look forward to there. We're going to continue with our panel that included Camille Keister, Tina Marchant, Christine Fuller, and Corinne Bell. I hope you enjoy Great stuff. Let's go right ahead. We're going to follow up with a couple of clips from Hillary Edmire's episode. And one of these, let's start with one actually about mental health. So there's, she had a lot of great input on her own mental health journey and some tips for people. I clipped uh, the segment where she talked about the power of the temple in her life. And then I have one more clip that we're going to go to with her as well. And anxiety where you had trouble feeling the spirit or connecting with God. Yeah. So there was actually at like that height of the anxiety when I had that day where I was like physically ill. There was a day that I told Justin, I don't even remember what it feels like to have peace. I don't remember what it feels like to not feel like my whole nervous system's on fire. Like I, Mm. and I couldn't, I, I couldn't remember. It was weird because it was like this like memory in the back of my head. It was like I could feel that it was there, but I couldn't touch it. I couldn't get to it. I couldn't feel it. And then um, all of a sudden there was this moment where I was like, that's the temple. Like, that's what you're thinking about. You're thinking about the temple. And um, and that like kind of like snapped the that like that string for me. Like, and it wasn't like, you know instantly like I was better but it was like okay like I can stop and I can think about the temple and that can kind of like bring me back but um yeah I definitely I think in general too in my life I feel like I'm kind of in a waiting period I think for so long our lives have been you know what's what's the next thing like it was you know first we have to finish undergrad and then grad school and then get a job and now we're kind of just in this space of like there isn't uh-huh. the next thing on the docket right now. And just that kind of that, that holding, it feels like a holding period to me. I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if it actually is or if this is just life now, but it just feels like this like in between space. And so I think that combined with that, um, that intensity of just like darkness was definitely limiting. Um, I didn't realize though, until after how much I was like missing feeling the spirit. Um, I think to back to when like shortly after Evan was born and, um, those first like moments of that postpartum depression, I think, I think I thought that I had the spirit with me, but then I, uh, when I was in a place where I was doing better, it was very clear that I didn't. And I look back now at some of those pictures and I just don't feel like I recognize that smile that I had. And it wasn't, didn't those pictures don't feel like a genuine smile. And, um, yeah, it's, 
definitely been an interesting experience. I've heard people talk about that, about like when they are in the midst of these like mental health issues that they just don't feel close to the spirit or to Christ. And I think I like kind of fooled myself. I think I told myself, mm-hmm. no, I'm okay. I'm not yeah. that bad. But being in a little bit of a healthier place now, it's like, okay, yeah, actually that wasn't good. And that wasn't there. So, but I kept doing what I was supposed to do, you know, like I kept praying, I kept, you know, listening I, at the time, you know, with a brand new baby, there's not a ton of time to sit and mm. read scriptures. So I would like <laughs> listen to like LDS living podcasts or like listen to the come follow me lesson for that week. And that was kind of like my way of staying, trying to like stay connected. And those moments definitely helped, but yeah, it was rough. It was hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I hard. said, you couldn't remember what it felt like to have the spirit. Cause I totally empathize with you on that. Yeah. And the, the, the cool thing is that it goes the other way around as well. So there's going to be a time when you go, when you're, you're, you know, your life is full of ups and downs and stuff, but you, you go so far forward when you're doing good that you're like, I don't remember what it was like to be in the depths of despair. I can totally see how that would be true. Yeah. yeah. And I think for me, it was a little bit, it's a little bit more obvious just because it's part of a growing thing. But yeah, Yeah. you start to come out of it and you're like, yeah, I don't remember what that's like. Yeah. And and you work, you work harder to. You know, stay to out keep of it, it too. Yeah. yeah. Cause you're like, yeah. I know now I'm yeah. not going to not going back that way. Yeah. So it's, yeah. I like that. That's really cool. Yeah. I like that thought about the temple and I think everybody has their own way, but for you, how I'm understanding is that was a method of getting a little unstuck. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. Mm. And it was really cool too, because once I was able to like, just even just thinking about the temple was really like pulled me out. Um, we had a chance to go and do a session in the middle of February. And at that point, like I was feeling much healthier, but still that it was, it was so cool to be there. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was a really great timing to be in the temple too. Um, and it just, yeah, the whole day was just really, really great. And it was definitely like pulled me out even more. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So mental health has been a big topic that we've gotten into on several episodes. I just, what are you guys' thoughts? I know that everybody here listened to Hillary's episode at one point, and I think we all enjoyed it for various reasons. Okay, no one's going. You go. I don't even know Hillary, and you also talked to Deb Baldwin, and I think I told them both, thank you for being willing to say out loud I struggle with my mental health. I think for a long, long time, it's been a stigma and something that you don't you don't talk about because it might make you look weak or there might be feelings about that. And coming from, sorry, coming from 11 years ago, I lost my dad to depression. And at that time, you didn't talk about it. You didn't. It was a bad thing to talk about that he was depressed. And I think over those years, I've seen it change. And I applaud anyone who's willing to say, I'm struggling. I don't think that's a weakness. I think that's a strength that they're willing to say, I I don't feel right and I need help. Um, And I was listening to a different podcast. Again, not as good as this one. But it was by, it was, they were interviewing Jane Clayson. I think it's how you say her name. She was the news reporter a long time ago. And she's a member and she struggled with 
depression and she was just saying how she too felt like what Hillary said, that she's like, I couldn't feel the spirit and I didn't know what to do. And all I craved was to feel that spirit. And so I, I just praise those people that are willing to say, I'm, I'm not feeling right. And I think those of us that hear that need to have a sympathetic ear. We may not know what to say. We may not know what to do, but there's a mess, an old Mormon message that the guy just said, just sit on the bench with me a little longer. And if all you can do when someone says that is sit on the bench with them a little longer, that might be all they need and you don't have to say anything. Instead of being later wishing you sat on that bench a little bit longer, in, even if it was in silence. I also loved her focus on the temple. The temple um, is a place of peace. It was interesting to hear that even just when she thought about it, she felt peace. But I think that takes some cultivating. You do have to kind of uh, make the temple part of your life. It's hard when we live far away from it, because even if I was like, oh, I would really want to go to the temple, it's not just like that, you know? Any minute it will be. <laughs> we can just say, oh, I really need to go to the temple and go tomorrow, and it won't take a whole day. So I'm really excited about that. But I, I appreciate just that reminder that for any person who desires to make the temple an important part of their life, it will become a place of peace, but it would also, just thinking about it, will, will help to bring you to a place of peace because of the consecrated building that it is. You say that, but I was talking to the missionaries here that are over our temple being built, and they're like, this is a dedicated space. Mm. And they're like, we invite anybody to come just to the temple grounds. Yeah. 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 You know, just come. We don't have the temple yet, but this these grounds are dedicated. They're that same space. And that when they said that, I was like, oh wow. I could like ride my bike there if I really wanted to. So yeah, there, there's that space. It may not be that we can go in and do the temple work, but there is that dedicated space there. That's that, a great that ground. Point. That's a good point. Something that caught my attention when Hillary was talking was um, that she said that she kept doing the things that she knew she was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a great place to start, you know, because she felt super lost. But at the same time, she was like, I know these are good things. Um, and to not give up on that, even when you're not feeling like you're getting the results that you want from it, because mm-hmm. um, she really was seeking the spirit. And didn't feel like it was coming. And I think a lot of times we give up on that when that happens, you know, and it's just, I just love that. I always come back to the analogy from President Monson when he talked about staying in the boat or Holland. 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 I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, Holland, when he talks about staying in the boat, it's like, you just don't, you don't want to be out in the middle of that storm by yourself. You, You need to stay in the boat, even if you feel like that storm is still coming and I don't know what to do about it, but. Uh, just staying in the boat. I think somebody in um, our sacrament meeting today was bearing their testimony and she talked about, you know, she has friends that are like, well, what if you find out that everything you believe is not true? And she was like, well, I'm still living the best kind of life I know how to live. Um, And she said, even if it's all not true, which she goes, I don't believe that at all. But even Mm -hmm. if it wasn't right, like I'm still living the best life I know how to live. And I think that's a great place to start when we're in those kind of like things that we can't figure out and things that are are weighing us down so much is start there, stay there. 
um, until you can work things through. And I, w- I think one of the mechanisms that can help pull us out of depression, and I, I find that relatable. I think like 95% of people, I went through something during, you know, 2020. And I, I think that for Hillary and for other people, one way that God helps us to pull out of it is he helps us in those moments of despair, refocus our priorities at times. And and for her, it was realizing the temple um, was such a huge, impactful part of her life. I, I think for other people, it's just prioritizing what they really care about, their family, you know, other things like that over career, other ambitions. And anyway, I, I, that was really cool and relatable how she shared that. Let's let's get to another clip from Hillary. This is going to show you a little different side of her. <laughs> this is a story from her high school years. You wrote something about an embarrassing moment in high school yeah. on pajama day. Yeah. So was I was, my family teases me all the time for being like a big klutz. Um, I don't fall down the stairs. I fall up the stairs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was always a big thing. Anyway. So in my high school, um, there is a hallway that has a, like a, a ramp to it. Um, and uh, I don't, I wasn't typically like one of those people like dress up for like spirit week, but I was on student council. And so I had to, so I was like, you know, what? if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all out. So I wore pajamas. I had slippers. I like, <laughs> you know, I think I don't even, I think I'd done something weird with my hair, like something, you know, bedheady anyway. <laughs> so I had this specific teacher and she was amazing, but she was also like a little bit crazy. Um, she would do like the funniest things, but one of the big things for her was like, if you were tardy to class, then there was more than just like being marked tardy. There was some kind of like a consequence. So one year it was, um, if you were tardy, you had to do a rap battle. Like you had to write your own rap and you had to battle someone. (laughs) Yeah. Talk about anxiety. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was never late that year. Yeah. And in general, like I'm a fairly like, you know, type A personality. So I'm not generally late, but that year no like i was not going to be late to her class um but this year it was um push-ups so like for every minute you were late you had to do five push-ups and it also applied to like anything during class that you were doing that was disruptive like talking anything like that there Mm -hmm. was one day that a kid got up to like 150 push-ups and like in increments of like five so he like (laughs) we just spent the whole class with him doing push-ups and it was like ridiculous but anyway i'm running late the bell rings. Part of her rule was if you can beat her in the door, then she won't mark you tardy, even if the bell has rung. So she, the bell rings, she comes out and she's starting to shut the door and there was me. And then there were two other boys behind me. Um, and so we all just start running cause we see her and she yells, <laughs> she's like, you better book it. And so we're running, we're running. And then I, her classroom was right at the bottom of this ramp. And I go to like, stop myself because I'm like running like full blast and I go to yeah. stop myself, forget that I'm in slippers wow. and end up just <laughs> sliding. And she was closing the door. And so the door jam went literally like just straight down my body, like, oh my like gosh. right down the oh middle of my, my body. It was the most painful thing. <laughs> and I was like wiped out flat on my back. Like I literally like hit the door and like fell straight back on my back. And oh. I was just laying on the floor. Like what just happened to me? Like I was totally just like, out of it. The two guys behind me run and jump over me to get into the classroom. And my teacher was in hysterics. Like she's on the floor with me laughing, like laughing her head off because she can't even get up. And anyway, 
the other two that jumped over me still had to do the push-ups because they jumped over me instead of helping me. So she got really mad about that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But yeah, it was, it was hilarious. That was like one of my favorite, like embarrassing moments. But yeah. So you didn't have to do the push-ups. I did not. She, I think she even gave me some extra credit if I remember correctly. So hustle. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She doored you. She did. I did not realize how much that could hurt, but yeah. And it was so funny because it was literally straight down the middle of my body. Like could not have been more like, Oh man. Linear. It was crazy. Anyway. Yeah. Fun times. That's a good, that's a terrifying story. (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) <laughs> yeah what do you say about that <laughs> i would have wanted the push-ups instead of the door. well if that was in our day and age there would be at least 50 kids that videoed it and it would be all over everywhere <laughs> she's true. doing an internet sensation that would have gone viral for sure yeah <laughs> i picture corinne showing up late to class just to do the push-ups <laughs> like, i got this you guys now i got she this was. She was like, I'm pretty you want to see how many I can do? I'll show up 20 minutes late tomorrow. <laughs> she would take them for her fears. Yeah, yes. <laughs> then I'd be all sweaty for class. She's trying to impress Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take my damn. I just imagine Hillary with this like square bruise down the middle of the forehead. Oh, man. How would you? I mean, should she get a nickname for that or something? I'm like, how could you ever live that way? <laughs> all the people in class. Oh, I think, oh, I think I would have taken the push-ups instead of running in. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Slippers. Let's let's go to this next clip is from somebody that we all know pretty well. Christine knows really well. (laughs) And this is from President Fuller's episode. And this is, he had a few good stories too, but I wanted to share his clip where he talks about his own faith journey, how his faith became stronger as he served as a page. You served uh, as a page for the U.S. Senate in Washington, D.C. <laughs> during your junior year of high school. First of all, I want how would you how did you even like get an opportunity like that? Yeah, well, like most things, it's all about connections, right? So my mm-hmm. uncle lived in Virginia, in um, Arlington, Virginia, and uh, and uh, he was in the same ward as Senator Orrin Hatch who was the senator from Utah. I was living in Utah at that time. And so he's the one that connected me with it. So there was an application that I had to fill out. I didn't really think about it for a couple months. And then Senator Hatch called me at my house just on like, the house phone, which do you guys know what a house phone is? Yeah. And so he called me. And uh, so my junior year of high school for one quarter of it. So it was the fall months um, up to winter break. Um, I served as a page for the U.S. Senate. Uh, since Senator Hatch was a Republican, I was a Republican page. So I served all of the Republican senators in the Senate at that time. And mostly what you did, so we would wake up at 5.30, we'd go to school at the Library of Congress and, until 9 o'clock in the morning, and then we'd cross the street to the Capitol building, and we'd work in the Capitol building and in the Senate offices until the Senate was done for that day. And if the Senate ever went over 10 o'clock at night, then we didn't have to go to school the next day, which was kind of nice. It was a really cool experience because there were people from just all over the country that I got to meet. And uh, it was my first time leaving Utah. It was the first time that I ever got on an airplane. It was the first time that I wasn't surrounded by members of the church. So it was a really formative experience for me. 
first I love, I actually love politics and government and history. So I love just being in Washington, D.C. and being a part of that. I got to meet President Clinton was the president at the time. Senator Dole was the majority leader in the Senate. Wait, you met Clinton? But I, yes, I, well, I got to shake his hand and talk to him for just a second. And I met uh, Nelson Mandela, who was the president Ooh. of South Africa oh, at the time. Oh, and yeah. Boris Yeltsin was the president of Russia at that time. And so just all these cool people and had this awesome experience. But it was maybe more importantly, just a really formative spiritual experience for me. Like I said, I grew up in Utah in Brigham City, small town. I had some friends who weren't members of the church, but you know, by far the majority of the people around me are mem- were members of the church. And so I quickly became the minority, right? And I was, you know, I had a roommate that was from New Hampshire and a roommate that was um, from Illinois. And neither of them, of course, were members. They both like to smoke weed on the balcony and have <laughs> pornography in the apartment, and which then was like magazines, right? We didn't have cell phones then. Um, and I just had to make a lot of choices for myself. I was like, that was the time of my life that I kind of had to choose if I was going to follow the commandments, if I was going to live the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I really had a testimony. I had to give myself up and get on the subway and go to the church by myself. And uh, and I luckily chose to do those things, and it made all the difference. It, it uh, was really there that I feel like I really developed a testimony of the Savior Jesus Christ and that this is his church. I wanted to go back a little bit on the page, which is kind of yeah. like a long internship. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, just doing a little research for this. It, it's like... 30 people mm-hmm. yeah, per so, semester or something like that. Yep, so exactly. Mm-hmm. Pretty competitive. And, yeah. and then you're living there. Yeah, so we lived yeah. in dorms. Like, So the O'Neill House office building, it has offices for members of the House of Representatives, but then one floor is just dorms for pages. And so, and then we had like a resident, somebody that was kind of oversaw us, you know, made sure we didn't get into too much trouble. Yeah, paint a picture for us a bit. What are the accommodations like there? Is it-, it was like similar to like a dorm room, right? So it was like you had just like the beds in the room. And then um, we didn't have any sort of like a, a kitchen in the room, but we had access to a kitchen by for the floor. So it was really like, so I was 16 years old and it felt very much like a college experience. It was actually a a tough transition back home after I was done because I felt like I'd had all this life experience that a lot of my peers hadn't. Not that I thought I was better than them, but, you know, I just had like matured or had been forced to live on my own a little bit. Um, And so that's what that looked like. We did get paid a little bit so that we could kind of go out and Washington, D.C. is such a cool town and there's so much to see there, so much history there. But it was it was really interesting. I was I was there also for an election. So I was there in November. It was the mid-year election for President Clinton, you guys do you like politics or you like totally bored by that? But, there's a election? <laughs> well, so there's presidents are elected every four years, right? Mm-hmm. So the second year that you're the president, there's a big election where all of the members of the House of Representatives are up for re-election again, right? And then some of the senators. It should be about a third, but it's not. Anyway, <laughs> while we were there, like if your sponsor, so mine was Senator Hatch, if he would have lost that election then I don't get to come back afterwards, oh. right? So we were all sitting around, I remember, on the couches watching election night, and it was a totally different experience because everybody was kind of tied to somebody that was actually running. And if your person lost, then 
you got axed. <laughs> was there people that were there that like their person lost and you're like, oh, yeah, that was the year that I mean, for people like our age, right? If you remember, that was like Newt Gingrich and the contract for America. And, oh yeah, uh, that was like it was a big Republican wave that kind of came in, and so anyway, it was just a. It was, it was a really cool experience. And mostly, I mean, our day-to-day task was like doing whatever the senators needed, like make them copies, get them a podium, get them an extra chair, get them a glass of water. If there was a vote happening, we would have to, you know, the Senate offices, there's actually a subway underground that only the members of Congress have access to that leads you to the different office buildings. And we'd take it and go run and find the people and get them there to vote. What? Yeah insights did you gain into just our system of government and i know you were interested in government maybe before but what did you come away from that experience knowing or or having better appreciation for yeah it is an incredible system of government as much as right now if you were to watch the news it seems rather dysfunctional (laughs) um it really is an incredible system of government with so many checks and balances and you can see in my estimation, the divine hand of God and creating the government of the United States of America. And it's just, I don't know, it's a beautiful thing. And it, it was also incredible to see these people try to work together and to try to make some compromises and, and try to figure out what the best, uh, the, the best thing to do for, for the American people are. I would say the majority of people that are there, that really is what they have in mind is trying to do the best thing that they can for, for people make people's lives easier. And when you said that you had to decide that you were going to be all in in the church and in the gospel or not, before this experience, were you wavering at all? Were were you kind of unsure of some things? Or I'm just curious how you got to that point. Yeah, I don't think that I I would say that I was wavering. I... uh, I think that I've always had kind of faith in those things and in the in the church and and kind of trusted that that's been something that's kind of come naturally to me and it's actually listed as a, as a gift that I was given in my patriarchal blessing that I think is probably true. But it was the first time that I'd ever been exposed maybe to to and invited and asked and 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 having it be so constant you know it was kind of a daily thing it's some things you guys probably deal with every day at school right just you have to kind of choose every day what kind of language you're going to use and if you're going to get involved in in whatever drama or in certain things and you know so it was i just have ne- had never been in that kind of an environment and it would have been so easy to uh you know i didn't have my parents there i didn't have anybody else that even really knew me so it could have been really easy to just kind of choose to live differently yeah how do you, lexi and drew how do you deal with that now when you're maybe invited to things you know are wrong i think for me right. when i was in high school it was like i was gifted as being awkward so <laughs> It always helped protect me in a way, but yeah, what do you do? Right, because you guys, I mean, I'm in schools every day. I hear the language that is there. I hear, you know, the, there's just so much access to so much more as far as, like, if you wanted to smoke weed or get a vape pen or get, you know, it's like so easily accessible Yeah, and you're surrounded by so much. No, that's so true. I've definitely, I've had people come up to me and they're like, if you ever want to do this, you know where to find me. And that's like so crazy to hear. Like just in the middle of like my chemistry class, there'll be kids like just talking about that stuff. And it's it's so crazy. I feel like I don't know, kind of what you're saying, Bishop. I think from 
at least in the six, I was weird middle schooler. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, especially like in the sixth grade, like I was definitely on that awkward side. And I can't I imagine some, that now though, right? Thank you. Yeah. I had some very clear like standards set. And a lot of people are like, oh, not a, like Alexis want to do that or like X, Y, and Z. And then that kind of just stuck because I've changed since sixth grade, like a lot, like <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. But one thing that like hasn't changed is the fact that people still are like, Alexis want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then they just don't offer, don't ask, don't like they are more mindful around me in their actions, I've noticed. And another thing is I, I don't know where I heard this, but it was I feel like it might have been one of our podcasts. Someone was saying that once you like know what is right, it is just so unbelievably hard to like go out and blatantly do what is wrong right because it's still like in the back of your mind like this is wrong like even if like um i don't know even if you have the desire to do something it's like when you're actually there or you like were to act on that desire it's like i can't do this i can't go any further with this it's not right i think that's that's just really important being able to set like standards for yourself and have like clear morals that you stick to right and once you have that reputation, it almost makes it easier because yeah. people expect that of you too. I yeah, think that was sure. the Tina Marchant episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. That also yeah, reminds that. me. That reminds me of uh, I was just reading from Elder Bednar around the the spirit. And oftentimes, when you're growing up, your parents are, we're all trying to teach you what it feels like to feel the spirit and how to describe it, right? Mm-hmm. But he says to really focus on what it feels like when the spirit isn't with you, right? Because once you're baptized, the promise is is that the spirit will be with you always, right? So it should be with us all the time. But you're kind of describing like when you do make a bad choice or when the spirit leaves you, you can identify what that feels like. You know what that feels like really easily, right? And so uh, when you're faced with those challenges and that spirit leaves, you know, you, you know that. You need to be doing something. Yeah, different. that reminds me of one of um, the notes you put in here. The, um, it says there have been times when I have distanced myself more from him and have felt the difference. Yeah. And I definitely feel that, especially sometimes it's not super obvious in the moment. But like I've had times where I have, I don't know, I wouldn't say drifted, but like I my connection right. to Christ isn't as strong as it could be. Mm-hmm. And then I'll look back weeks later when I am re-strengthening that, when I do have a spiritual moment, and I'm like, this feels different, and this feels good, and I want to keep that difference. Right. Yeah, It's definitely right. a positive thing to yeah, be able to recognize. Yeah, he always wants to be connected to us, right? Mm-hmm. And it's us. We, we're the ones that choose how, how strong that connection is going to be. Good. So a few things going on there, right? I, I think first is Jeff's own personal story and and his faith journey and deciding really for himself at a young age that he was going to be all in with the gospel. But I, I also think we got into a pretty interesting conversation, particularly with Lexi, you know, about the youth and, you know, how do you choose Christ when so much is thrown at you these days? What did you guys think? Ooh, that's a loaded question. That is. I was thinking about when Jeff was saying, because he went you know, he went away from home. And that's when he knew he needed to make these decisions for himself. And I was thinking at his age, I was still at home. But I remember kind of feeling that too. <laughs> like when I went to BYU, people asked, what was it like living in the mission field? I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but like not having everybody in my friend group be a member of the church was 
to me, it was kind of normal, but also there were hard parts about that, right? Um, there were times when I felt like I was alone in the decisions I was making. And um, those were the times that, like Jeff said, that's when you have to choose. You have to choose for yourself. Do you, What do you want and who do you want to be? Um, and what kinds of decisions are going to get you there? And I remember having a lot of those kinds of existential kind of discussions with myself when I was about 16 too. And just taking the time to say, you know, where where do I want to be and who do I want people to know me as? Um, and Lexi said, you know, she became, she's become this person that people know, like, Lexi's not going to do that. So I'm not even going to approach her. And um, I love that kind of that pride that you could hear in her voice, like that she was happy to be that person. I think that's really important, especially as those are kind of like the years of transition, right? Of make of really sitting down and thinking about that. Like, who do I want to be? What do I want to be known as? And I think I watch like my son, Andrew, and he listens to church podcasts in his spare time. And that has become really important to him that he is studying and understanding and learning and um, so that's become a part of who he wants to be and who he projects. And I I love watching those kind of decisions being made. And and you just know, like, as someone that's been in that spot, as a parent, you're looking out going, oh, this is going to put you in such a great, a great path um, if you can stick with that. And and it's it's fun to see them make those decisions. I personally just enjoy talking to Jeff or listening to his podcast and things like that. Because he's so real, and if you haven't listened to his podcast he and you're not sure what a stake president is, you should go listen to his podcast because I think he describes that calling in our church really, really well. But I love that he's just a human, and Christine would probably be like, yeah, you just do. <laughs> just the guy, you know? But I love that he is so relatable, especially to the youth. And as he was talking to Lexi and as Tina was just saying, you know, she got asked what was it like to live in the mission field, so from the flip side, I grew up just a couple hours north from Jeff in Idaho, and we're about this, we are the same age, right? So we are the same age. So about the same time we were growing up, I was just a few hours north. So I grew up in an area where our faith was the majority, and it was a little bit easier to go with the flow, I guess, and just do the things because that's what everybody was doing. But even like that, you you still have to come to a point where you have to choose, right? And I can remember one time, and, and I give props to the youth that are growing up in the mission field, like you said, Tina, that are, have already chosen, like Lexi, who was saying, I've already chosen who I am. Because it can be really hard, and sometimes you lose friends, and, pain, and it's kind of painful, because I can remember... A friend, she we'd made friends in second grade, and we were best buddies. And then there was, as we got older, she kind of would not hang out with me. And I finally asked her, "Why are Why are you dogging me?" That was the term back then. So you guys remember that term? And um, just totally dated myself right there. (laughs) And she said, "Well, Corinne, you won't do the things that I want to do with these other friends. So it's just better if I don't hang out with you." And I remember it really hurt because this was my best friend that I thought I had as a best friend, you know. And so it's hard to make that choice as a youth to be who you are and to be young like Lexi did. And so I give Lexi props for like, this is who I am and this is who you know me as. And they they know who Lexi is because that's hard as a youth to sometimes do that, even, you know, especially like Lexi where she's growing up and there's not a lot of members around her. But then on the flip side where it's it's difficult in a place where there are a lot of members around you because a lot of times we just go with the flow. But 
I think every member has to come to a point where they choose or not. Like Jeff said, he had to figure out who am I and am I going to do this? Am I committed to this? And I think we all have to come to that. We just come to it at different times. So some people, it's a lot faster and they just choose it real fast. And some, it just takes a little, like they're slow to warm, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think too, I think the part of the question you asked was how do we ourselves come closer to Christ, but also how, you know, how do we encourage the youth to? It really is a thing, I think, you know, we talk about being on the covenant path and the promises about choosing the covenant path are that you will be protected and you will be shielded from some temptations. And so I think like listening to Lexi say that, you know, she is sort of protected by choosing that. I do think that all of us, when we choose to stay on 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 that covenant path with Christ, we are shielded from some temptations that when you sort of hear about what's going on out there and you realize you didn't you've never been exposed to that, you've never had to say no to that thing. I, it's just like, wow, I feel really grateful and even for our kids, same. When they make those choices that sort of that keep them close to Christ, they really are shielded from some pretty horrible things that, you know, that they could be exposed to. I mean, not everything. Certainly, they're exposed to stuff every day, like Lexi Mm -hmm. said, but, you know, there is a level of protection that comes in. That's a promise we've been given by our leaders, and I hold tight to that. And, you know, I'm going to totally cash in on that one. (laughs) I like that thought. But I I love seeing them attract other kids, too, right? Um, We just had a bunch of kids at our house last night and their friend group is not just members of the church you know it's it's kids from outside of that just because they they feel that you know they feel that closeness even if they don't know what it is and mm-hmm. and they want to be a part of that too you know they want to be in that in that good place with them and i think that's really cool to watch mm-hmm. awesome well jeff fuller will be back for his second episode we're doing a new series called who we're becoming and oh, uh, he cool. should be coming on in a couple months uh, well, we have to schedule them still. All right, so our our next clip is from Bishop Reed Stockwell. And I feel like, Corinne, I, I don't know, this is just for pride, I guess. I can't think of a prize. But could you guess the story I picked from Reed Stockwell? Uh, no, I can't. It'll, it'll just have uh, to be a surprise. He's told be. this one Because there's a lot times. of stories about Reed, so. <laughs> He's told... S- yeah, this well, is one he's to told to multiple golf? times. I was going to say, <laughs> golf got it, or fishing has got to be somewhere in Ooh, okay. there. I'm thinking one we're of those, going fishing. One of those two things. Okay. With, Pres- with President Johnson. We're firm on fishing. Okay. Did I win a prize? <laughs> fishing think, President Johnson. We'll just have to I see. Win. I win. We'll have to Sorry. see. Well, this, yeah, I love to fly fish. And I was, fortunately, I had the day with the patriarch out on the water. And he and I were at a lake uh, this last summer. Most amazing time. I mean, it, again, he and I, crack of the dawn, kind of, we got out there a little later, eight o'clock. My get out to a place where we wanted to fish, anchored our boat on this dead, calm, beautiful lake with Mount Basher in the foreground. The sisters are right there. And so we are in, we are in heaven. And Kimber and I just, we, I've fed him. We've had, a, I, I, I kind of make sure I take care of Kimber on all my trips. So we're out on the middle of the lake. Eight o'clock in the morning, my first cast is out on the water, and I turn around to grab my other rod because we get to use multiple rods. I go to grab my other rod. Right at that moment, my rod jumps out of the boat with a fish on it that's jumping in the air. 
and I've got that much a split second to make a decision. Am I going to lose that rod or, or just watch it go away? And I, I leapt out of the boat. I jumped out of the boat, caught the fly rod midair, went in the water, came up with it in my hand, set the hook, handed the rod to Kimber. He had no idea where I was because he had his back to me. I handed him the rod, told him to keep the fish on. I crawled into the back of the boat, um, got in there, got the rod from him, got the fish in, took a picture of it, released the fish. And then I turned around to grab my other rod that I was reaching for. And I found out I had thrown it out of the boat when I jumped after my other rod. And it was a brand new rod that I had just made for this special trip in to Reno to fish this one big lake. And it was a carbon fire. It's a very valuable rod, I, but I built it myself. And it was at the bottom of the lake. And the lake's only about 15 feet deep, but it's got algae in it and it's murky. And, and it's just, I dove the lake. Oh, I swim in the lake every time I go there, but I dove the lake before and it's hard to find anything in that lake. And uh, I was just crushed. And I told Kimber, I said, Kimber, I, I can't lose that rod. And, and I kept looking over the edge, hoping that, you know, that it would be visible somehow. And if it was, I could swim in and go after it or whatever. And I, here I am dripping wet. I left one of the shoes in, in the boat when I jumped out. But I'm soaked and I'm sitting there looking and realizing, you know, I'm probably going to lose this rod. Well, a, a month before that, we were in uh, Come Follow Me, and it was – talking about Elisha and the floating axe head. And I pr I was praying to Heavenly Father, saying, Heavenly Father, I don't want to lose this rod. And I know it's just a fishing rod, and you know, but it really means something to me, and I'd really like to get it back. And so I thought about that story, and I remember the young man went to the prophet, Elisha, and said, here's what happened. I need this back. I borrowed that axe head, and I borrowed that axe, and I, I need that back. And I didn't have a prophet, but I did have a the patriarch, and he was right there. So I went to Kimber, and I, I said, Kimber, what should, what should I do? And he said, just take your fishing rod and let a little line out of it and reach down under the boat and kind of wiggle it around there, and maybe you can snag it and get it up. And so I thought, I'm going to do it. And I, and sure enough, and this is after two hours of looking for it. So I took that down, I reached down there and wiggled it around a little bit, trying to see if I could hook something and nothing. So I pulled it out, and I pulled a little more line out and wiggled it down there, pulled my rod up. And sure enough, I caught the tip of the rod and it came right out of the water. And Kim and I just looked at each other like, you gotta be kidding me. And I grabbed that thing and it was like, that is amazing. I mean, it, to me, it, it, I prayed about it and asked Heavenly Father to help. It wasn't that important, but it wasn't important to me. And for me to feel like, you know, Heavenly Father does hear your prayer. He does care about the things that you care about, and he will help you. And I, you know, I, I won't say that's going to happen every time, but, but I won't say it was a fluke. I, I would say there was a lot of heartfelt emotion, and and uh, and I, I tried to follow a pattern that I'd seen in the scriptures, and all I can say is it worked. <laughs> Yeah, and I think for the youth of the church, they also have to understand this, is that are they worthy of having the Holy Ghost as a constant companion? Yes, you are. And how are you? Well, because you go to church, you partake of the sacrament, which renews your baptismal covenants, that you are take upon Christ's name and you're a disciple, and that you'll always have his spirit to be with you. 
So if you're not doing something horribly, horribly wrong, then the Holy Ghost is always striving to communicate with you and to influence you and to change your life and to help you along the way. You have a right and privilege to expect the promptings of the Holy Ghost to be effective in your lives. And not that just by some occasional situation will something come up that you'll be able to say that was a spiritual experience, but you'll be able to feel it more often than you do now. A long time ago when I was a young man in the Institute here in Eugene, one of my uh, Institute directors said, our job in this life is to teach and condition ourselves to hear the promptings of the still small voice. And they're out there and they're always there. As long as you're doing those things, you're trying to live a clean life, you're trying to obey the commandments, you're reading the scriptures, you're saying your prayers, you're doing those small things, which are actually the really big and most important things to do, then the Holy Ghost is always striving, always striving to influence you and help you. And you just have to turn the dial and listen to him and, and figure out the variety of ways he's trying to communicate with you because it's not just one way there's just a multitude of uh of of manifestations of the spirit yeah it's constant i i believe the more I, the older i get the more i realize that he's always trying to that's when you say he always have your his spirit with us that's that's one of the blessings we get out of the sacrament and sure enough we have to believe that and we have to think that you know, he does want to talk to me. He does want to guide me. He, this is what this is all about. It's the separating of us from the natural man and becoming a disciple of Christ. Well, it's it's a, it's a conversation with, with deity. And it's having that um, realization that he loves me. He really wants me to improve. And he wants me to have a, a fantastic life. And how can I help facilitate that? Most of the time, get yourself out of the way. Get your ego, get your negative attitude out of the way and listen because he's striving to guide you and help you have the most fantastic life available. Or you can, or you can be a victim. And what's the benefit? Of, what is the blessing or benefit of being a victim or saying, you know, God talks to some, so-and-so, but he doesn't talk to me. No, that's not true. He's a, he has no favorites. All right, Corinne, did you guess it right? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> What's my prize? <laughs> I think you shared that one in church, too, because President Johnson's in our ward. But <laughs> got to love Reed. Actually, I was thinking as you shared that story in church and then as you just refreshed with that clip that, oh, uh, man, Heavenly Father's probably like every mom in the world. Heavenly Father, help me find this. Mom, where's this? <laughs> because I think we've all had those stories where we're like, okay, Heavenly Father, I know this is such a silly thing, but I need X, Y, and Z. Can you just tell me where it is? And I'm talking very simple. I've said so many of those prayers. Like, I just, if you could just help me find this small little thing, that would be awesome because I really, really need it. You know, and it's something like Reed was saying, it's just a fishing rod. But to him, it was a big deal. And like, if my kids ask me for something that I know is a big deal to them, I'm going to step in and help them, you know, and... I mean, Heavenly Father is always there. I just think even on, he wants you to, obviously, we've talked about that, but like just those even small things that you think, this is so silly to pray about, but Heavenly Father, guess what? I lost my keys <laughs> again or whatever, and he's going to prompt you. There's a little woman in our ward 
And she shared a story about that, that she she lives alone, she's single, and she had come home from the grocery store and put all their groceries away and then needed to go somewhere but couldn't find her car keys. And she's like, I had to find them. I, did, I live by myself. And so she's like, I just prayed and prayed and prayed and kept looking and looking and looking. And all of a sudden, I felt like I should look in the freezer. And she's like, well, that's <laughs> weird. So I kept looking and looking and looking. And it said it again, go look in the freezer. And lo and behold, there were my keys in the freezer. You know, so even those small things, Heavenly Father hears. And so I think Reed's story about a fishing pole is valid for all of us. We've, I think we've all said those prayers and found the things that we needed. Sounds like we need to recondition our brains to think that Heavenly Father doesn't want to help us with that. <laughs> because somehow we're all, it kind of goes back to the Jordan thing. Like, why do we all think... Oh, yeah, I know you probably don't really want to help me with this because it's so silly, right? Yeah. We mm-hmm. obviously need to recondition our and reframe it for ourselves that nothing is too silly. Nothing. Period. That like what he said, we should just we we what did he say? We 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 can expect that the spirit will help us. Just like our kids expect that we'll help us. Yeah. Or that yeah, that we'll, we'll help step them in and help them. They're just like, "Mom, where is this?" and they just they think we're going to just find it and we do. <laughs> and I think it's our superpower. It's our superpower. Yeah. I think on the flip side though, when you think about it, sometimes I won't put everyone in this boat but myself. Sometimes I'm like for the hundredth time when my kid is like, I can't find this. I'm like, oh. Right, but God but isn't have, that yeah, way. Yeah. Heavenly Father isn't that way. If I lose my keys for the hundredth time, he understands when I'm like, I am really sorry that my brain is not working, but I need help. And he's like, okay. You know, mm-hmm. so we just have to hear him. That's the biggest thing is sometimes we don't hear like the lady was like, why would I look in my freezer? Why would my keys be in the freezer? And yeah. I like I like how Reed said we have to our job here is to figure out how the spirit speaks to us because he speaks all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I think we That's get a true. lot more communication than we think we get. And I think even like being able to realize that that was the spirit was is like a gift from the spirit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. totally. Like just being yeah. able to kind of see that happen. But like I'll randomly I'll be sitting in bed and I'm learning how to do this better, but like I'll just be sitting there, I'll be like getting ready to go to sleep and then I have this thought like, and it could be something simple like I should text that person this thing or I should ask them, you know, how they're doing or I should get up and do this before I go to bed. And a lot of times we're like, well, that's just a weird thought like I just had, I'm just gonna go to sleep. You know, but I I think more often than we think, it's the spirit going, you should just maybe do this. Like, you yeah. just, just do this right now. Just do it right now. <laughs> and so like, I've been learning, like, I'm just gonna do it. And even if it wasn't a prompting, like, I'm just gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm better off doing it than to say, well, I don't know. I think it's, uh, I'm not even going to say who it is because I, I think it's Christensen that spoke a long time ago in um, general conference. And he said that first thought is more than likely the spirit. And if you wait three seconds, that allows, it's gone. it's gone. Or it allows Satan to actually put other thoughts of, oh, why would I look in my freezer to enter your mind? And he said that first thought is more often than not the spirit. And I think it was Christensen, but... I could be wrong. I'll look it up and tell you if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I had somebody um, at a fireside ask, you know, like, how do I know the difference if it's the spirit or if it's just my own thoughts? And his response, I don't remember who it was, a general authority of some, and he said, why does it matter? You know, if it's good, mm-hmm. just do it. It oh, doesn't yeah. matter if it was your thought or if it was a spirit. If it's a good thing, all good things come from God. So just do it, you know? 
So I, I always kind of put that in the forefront, like, oh, those thoughts are probably not mine. If they're good, they come from God. I'm probably being prompted. I should just do whatever it is. So that helps me a lot. Sometimes the prompting is just to kind of have a little a little um, bit of obedience too, I think. Mm, like, yeah. I mean, that kind of, it's it's almost, I don't think it's God going, hmm, let's see if she'll obey. It's more like, hey, give her that opportunity to obey. And yeah. and as you do that, little by little, yeah. you just are someone who can be trusted to to really help and, and move the, the work But I think forward. he teaches you about yourself too, right? Yeah, totally. Because mm-hmm. I think I learn more about myself when I actually like listen and like, oh, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I well, can't. Nobody do these sees it, right? Yeah, like yeah. usually those promptings, especially when there's no other person involved, when it's just something like, oh, pick up that trash, or I mean, it's they're they're again, I'm calling them silly things. They're really not. Usually, it's like to help something, to help right, the, yeah. the earth, to help you know whatever. Sometimes nobody sees it, but there is that little like, oh, you know, cool. Thanks yeah. for asking me to do that. Well, then you've made that connection too. Yeah. So you've strengthened your own testimony. And oh, that mm-hmm. was a connection that I just had in that moment. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be huge and and overt, you know, you're just making that little connection. Yeah, like that little <clears throat> bit by bit, like, oh, oh, you're gonna you're gonna bite that? Like, okay, we'll give you more. We'll give mm-hmm. you more. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. Yeah, I think there's um there's something that a lot of us struggle with, and I, I struggle with too, honestly, the fact that we have a veil, the fact that we don't get to know everything, the fact that we don't have Jesus Christ coming down from the heavens and saying, you know, Russell M. Nelson's a prophet, you know. <laughs> but I I think that was intentional. I think we have to accept that. I think we also have to, as you guys have all been teaching us, recognize those little breadcrumbs or little clues that God leaves us, those can become the foundation of what becomes a a solid testimony, a quiet confidence that this is real, that this is true. And sometimes it can be something as silly as finding your keys or getting your fishing rod back, (laughs) you know? You know, maybe you don't sometimes. And and I think in those circumstances, you just have to be happy that you have God and everything else in your life. But I I think that those can be little hints that God just sends out there and says, hey, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're paying attention, we'll know it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for coming, by the way. You guys have been rock stars today. And, and thank you for all the things you shared. We, we have one more clip to get to. It's from Deb Baldwin one of our favorite episodes. Mm-hmm. And she also talked about mental health. And what she shared in particular was about mental health and also faith crisis and how to handle that, how to navigate those waters that a lot of us go through. Sure. I say I, I'm in recovery for mental health. Like I, I I, classify myself as kind of always actively working on my mental health. And that's what got me into being interested to work with other people in that realm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of how far to go back. But I think growing up, my parents had some marital problems that they never dealt with. And so we grew up in a household that was very, you know, they did their best, but was very much not what I would classify as the ideal Latter-day Saint household, especially when you're, you know, singing all the hymns and love at home. And you're like, well, what the heck? My family doesn't (laughs) really match up with this. Like, what does that mean about us and about me? And so I just really struggled to identify my self-worth and to love myself and to, I think they struggled with that for themselves too, which looking back at it now, I can, I can have total 
you know, compassion for both of my parents in that way. But uh, when I was growing up, I just was like, oh, we're like, we're getting it all wrong. You know, like, we're doing it wrong. And so um, speed up. I There was a man in our church who we all knew. I mean, I was in the same branch forever, grew up in that branch. And he started paying attention to me. I, I don't know if I would classify it as grooming, but maybe looking back on it, it could have been like he would always pay attention to me when I was younger. And it just we ended up dating. And that's really what took me away from the church. He proposed to me when I was 21 in the Manhattan Temple like in the open house and in the celestial room. So I thought, you know, we were headed that way, but he was 20 years older than me. And I just kind of always felt like, okay, like I'm I'm waiting to get married in the temple to this guy. But then all these other disclosures happen. Like he came out that he was gay for like 20 years and just, it was just, you know, a mess of a situation. And again, went totally against like, oh, I have these ideas in my head of how my life's going to go. I'm going to get married in the temple to this person I love. And I just, I think at that time, I just didn't feel strong enough. I didn't love myself enough to like try to break away from that relationship. And so we were together for 12 years. He got, at that time, he got excommunicated and not not because of necessarily what he had done, but because he was in a position of power and he had lied about it and lied about, you know, his lifestyle and things like that. And he just wasn't at all repentant for having lied. So I think that played into it a lot. I felt very trapped because on one hand, he was very loving and attentive, and I felt like I really needed that, having not felt feeling that I could love myself. On the other hand, he would make comments every once in a while like, oh, no one's going to love you as much as I will if you leave and things of that nature. So, you know, having struggled with that in and of myself, I just didn't feel strong enough. And then I started actually like as that relationship went on and just started feeling like getting to a point of feeling suicidal and like, okay, I got to do something here. Like this doesn't feel great. So I think first I went to addiction recovery program, which was like, seemed very newfangled in upstate New York because we don't have as many members of the church there. So I, I think, you know, kind of as things unfold in the church, they kind of get to us, you know, kind of towards <laughs> after they've been in Utah and in, in the West, um, they kind of get to us later down the road. But Which is I, maybe good because maybe yeah. things have sorted out a little bit better. Right. Maybe. Who, who knows, right? Um, but I was very impressed with that program. And then I went to a few counseling sessions with a therapist that was um, facilitating that group. And then I got in with my therapist, who I still see today over the phone. <laughs> um, but she was just fantastic. And she just really helped me to individuate and, and know that I am lovable and that I can do things on my own. And I, you know, boundaries was a big thing. Like my family, we didn't, they didn't have boundaries. Like, what's that? <laughs> you know, like, so just working through a lot of my own stuff really helped me. I like what you said. Those things happen, I think, to almost everybody. I assume that all of us are wrestling with some mental health issues. Uh -huh. I think everybody, whether you're diagnosed yeah. ADD, OCD or whatever, I think that there's something with all of us that life has given us 
yeah. as, as a challenge and that we're all trying to get through something. I, I, you know, I, like you said, some of the most important things are spiritual value and, and self-worth. Yeah. And, that, and that it goes back to the young uh, women's camps, which what are we trying to teach them? That they're sons and sons and daughters of Heavenly Father. Right. They have a they have an infinite uh, potential and worth. And man, if like you experience later on in life is if we can find that out early, it's that's where everything hinges on. If we can right. figure that, if we could figure that out and feel it and say, no, I know who I am. Right. And all this yeah. other stuff is dirty minutia or mm -hmm. whatever, and it's a lot of conflict and struggles, but you know what? Mm -hmm. At least I know this. Yeah. And, and just knowing that, grasping a hold of that for our youth is, I'd say, one of the most valuable things that we can do for them. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know who I was, and I think that was, yeah. even though I, mm -hmm. I didn't ever have an issue or take issue with doctrine in the church or, you know, I, I was fine with the proclamation to the family. I never had an issue, but I just didn't, it didn't really sink in that I was a daughter of God and that he loved me because I was kind of like, well, if he loved me, then why would he let all this crap happen to me, <laughs> you know? And why would why would all these hard things happen? And I just kind of was angry with him for a long time. And so I think part of my being inactive too was just like not knowing how to reconcile that relationship and mm -hmm. what it meant. And I know I had some other abuse not from family or anything down the road, but from in other relationships that happened. And I think that is a typical thing that happens uh, is that you have a hard time trusting even Heavenly Father. And that's a pretty typical response to abusive situations or abuse that's happened. So what was the thing that popped you out into the light then or that made you really? Um, yeah. So I think after that 12-year relationship, I kind of just went off the rails and was just like, again, looking for love in all the wrong places. But it just got it just got kind of wild. I was just kind of wild and just hurting and, and not taking care of myself and spending a lot of time in other relationships that just were very negative. And I think I recognized that I didn't have peace. I recognized mm -hmm. that very that was very clear to me. You don't have peace like you did when you were going to church. Even though things weren't all perfect then, you had a measure of peace and a measure of, okay, like I can get through this. And then the other thing that really I was like deathly afraid of not progressing, I just remember thinking like, I'm just so stagnant. Like it had been maybe four or five years. I'm just so stagnant. And I feel, what if I die like this? Like I'm just not progressing, <laughs> you know? And that to me was my worst fear at that time. And so I knew that I needed to really come back in earnest. And I kind of like would come back for a while and then, you know, oh, you know, so-and-so would call for my past or I'd put myself in a bad position or I don't know. When did you recognize Heavenly Father was guiding you? I think I recognized it throughout that time because I could, there were times too where I felt like people were praying for me and I'd be like, stop praying for me, like in my head, right? Like, <laughs> stop <it. laughs> like, I know you're out. <laughs> yeah. Like I can feel it. Just stop it. You know, <laughs> there was one time that was really poignant because I kind of felt like, oh man, I've wasted all this time, you know, like I, am I going to be behind the eight ball always? And I just felt this like witness of the spirit say, don't worry, you'll, it will, it will be as if you weren't gone. Like, that's what I heard from the Spirit. It will be as if you weren't gone and it'll be okay. And so that's really what kind of helped me turn the corner. And I was living with this guy at the time that I was dating. And so I moved back home and, you know, much to my parents' 
uh, delight. <laughs> you know, because they're always <laughs> telling me, Again? <laughs> yeah, they're always telling me, move back home, go back to school, this and that. You know, and just like, guys, stop telling me what to do. You know, yeah. but you know, it's right what they were telling me. So I moved back home and just really buckled down and and tried to get my life to put back together. And I think at that time, too, I was struggling with some really severe depression, like to the point where I was it was hard to get out of bed. It was hard to do basic self-care. And so I knew I needed to refocus and and just work on it and try to do a little bit better each day. But yeah, that's that's a bulk of really what Mm. happened. I'm seeing Tina nodding along here. And and I know that you and I, Tina, have had some chats kind of in the abstract more about mental health and how it's impacting people in the world. And I just wondered, listening to Deb's story, were there any like thoughts you had or or questions? Or Actually, the kids and I were just watching Miracles from Heaven. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's based on a, a true story about a girl that gets really, really sick. And then she has this miraculous recovery after she speaks with God. But um, it there was a part in there where they talked a lot about that being angry with God mm-hmm. in your journey and and when bad things happen to us. And I feel like that happens a lot. You know, there's a lot of bad things that happen. And I feel like sometimes we get caught in it and sometimes mm-hmm. it's our choices and sometimes it's life and sometimes it's other people's choices and, mm-hmm. and we don't have control over that. And I was just kind of thinking about like, what what kinds of things would you recommend to, to be able to get out of that cycle of being angry with God and being able to turn it back to, that's I need to one. trust in him because yeah. that's where I'm going to find my peace. I think not, and I love that question, I think not taking yourself out of the game, right? Like, I feel like I would be the person to go, okay, well, I'm not going to church, I'm not praying, I'm... And those things, those are the times where I really needed to do do those things and just tell him, express to him that I'm ticked at him, you know, and and I think he wants us to come to him even in those times. And I I think something that really dawned on me while I was driving out to Oregon, so I I drove, packed up my little Toyota Curl and drove what I could fit in there <laughs> from New York uh-huh. to Oregon. And while, while I was driving out here, I was listening to a CD that I conveniently can't remember <laughs> at the time, but it's it's a 12-step, and I think the author's name is Colleen. The last name starts with an H. I can get the information for you guys, but she's talking about how she feels like we agreed to our trials even before we came here because agency is such a big deal. So there's no scriptural reference, but just that really stuck in my head, like, okay, maybe I agreed to having parents that weren't super equipped to like love me the way that I thought I needed or felt I needed. Maybe I agreed to some of these things that have happened to me right before I came here. And that really just kind of also helped me to like kind of place that to look at the eternal perspective, because I think it's just so easy when those things happen too to get myopic, as President Nelson Mm -hmm. says, to just focus in on the disappointments and the hurt and to not recognize that, hey, any any learning that we get, whether it be bad, good, meh, indifferent, whatever it is, we're going to take that along this this journey with us um, throughout eternity. We had Deb over to our house for a fireside with the youth, actually, where she talked about mental health. And it I feel like it went really well. I, I feel like we probably could have done it as like a three-part <laughs> fireside series. Maybe we'll do that in the future. But really appreciate the combination of her expertise along with 
life experience and life story. And I, I think that this is one episode of many that's really helped people. And I get this with almost everyone, but a lot of people have texted me back and say, thank you. I shared this with my uncle or my somebody, a friend that I really care about. You know, I, I think it's helped a lot of people just hearing her journey and the struggles that she's gone through, because I think it's relatable for a lot of people. Um, what do you guys think? One of the things I love that she said is the the really specific um, message she got from the spirit that said, it will be like you never even, like no time has passed. And sometimes the spirit gives me a, a message or a thought that it that feels like, really? Are you sure? Like, that's not at all what I thought you would have said. And I really love when that happens because it shows me like how just how merciful and how kind, how patient, how loving God really is. When people share those kinds of things that the Spirit has taught them that help them immediately feel better, that is just a really powerful um, witness to me that the Spirit, that God, that the entire Godhead knows us, that the Spirit is the deliverer of the messages, but that our Heavenly Parents just want us to know like, we have never given up on you and you can always come back and you have never strayed too far ever, ever, ever. And it's okay that the, the, th the lessons you've learned along your path that have steered you, like you steered a, a different direction for a while, the lessons that you've learned out there, you come back, we will magnify those and you will minister to so many people. And that's, I think exactly what Deb is doing. So yeah, I love it. I, I just piggyback on that. Cause I was, probably the line I picked out too. And it's funny because I was just reflecting on the scriptures and you hear all these stories, these redemption stories, I'm a younger apostle, Paul or Saul, mm -hmm. you know, and you never hear in the scriptures, oh, and they had to wait a long time after they came to the light. You know, they had to wait so-and-so years because they were so far behind, you know, and they've been doing wicked for so long, so they couldn't come back and, you know, lead for X amount of years or whatever. It's like, boom, you had never been gone. And and I, I think there's a reason we're told those stories that way, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like that that friendship where you haven't seen each other for 20 years, but as soon as you get back together, it's like you never were apart. And I think that's exactly how God is. He's like, I, I don't care how long it's been. And I don't care, you know, how, how many times you've messed up. If you're ready, I'm ready. And let's do this together. And I just, I love that. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about an experience on my mission where going through a hard time after my mom had passed away and I was back giving tours with one of my companions who was, uh, German speaking, and she was given a private tour, and I don't speak German, so I was just kind of there. And at one point, uh, she had gone and talked to the the family um, or the parents, and she came back and she had told me that they were struggling because they had lost their one of their children in like a ski accident or something, and they they had no idea where their child was you know, um, after death, like they didn't know about like what we know about eternal families. And, um, I just remember bearing my testimony in English and about eternal families and, and losing my, my mom and knowing that, you know, we can be together again. Like, I just remember telling them like, you will get to see your child again. And, um, anyway, I was just thinking about, you know, the experiences we go through in life, we often, are able to help somebody out 
that's in a similar experience. And I, I love that about, about Deb and her experiences and even um, her teaching classes at girls camp, like every single girl wanted to be in one of her classes and just know how to deal with emotions and, and just life. When Corinne, well, you were saying something while we were listening about how she, she said it's okay to be angry with God. I do think that's okay. And I think, I think on this podcast, you guys have even talked about that. And I think, I think it was Jason who actually said, I think it's okay to say, Heavenly Father, I'm upset. You know, these are real feelings that I have. But I think what Jason said was that you stay in the conversation, you know, and I think it's okay, like Deb said, to admit, I'm mad and I, I don't understand why I went through all of this. And I think that's okay to say to Heavenly Father, he gave us those emotions and those feelings. Um, but like Jason was saying, stay in the conversation, stay, or like you said earlier, stay in the boat and figure out why, you know, those emotions and those feelings. And then after this podcast, Deb is in my ward, but because of our callings, I don't actually get to bump into her very often. And so, um, but I did want to bump into her after listening because I had so many questions for her. And so we did sit and chit chat. And I love that, like Camille was just saying, that her experience now she feels is a way, a sounding board to help others. And I really think that's what Heavenly Father has put us all here for. Um, we've talked about strengths and identities and we all have different strengths and we have to rely on like Deb, she has this area now of focus and education, and she's so good at it that that's what I went to her for. I'm like, hey, I have questions now, so I want to rely on your strengths, your your expertise. Help me in my area where I now have questions. I am wondering. I have weaknesses. And I really think that's what Heavenly Father has given to us to help each other out. And sometimes it is, like Deb and Camille were just saying, in, that here's my life experience Here's where I've grown, and now I can use that to better somebody else's life. And it sounds like Deb is doing an amazing job um, of going to, around and doing that. So I give her props again for being willing to say, hey, I've had struggles. I've struggled with my mental health. I've struggled here. I think that takes a lot of courage and amazing strength to stand up and say, I've had these struggles, but here's what I did with it, and here's now what I can do with it. So I give her total props is what I sat and talked to her about the day in church. I love that you're not afraid to do that. Like no. that's that's the real strength that I see in you, Corinne, that I I think about sometimes is that you're not afraid to go and talk to that person. Like, oh, I heard you on this podcast. Let me talk to you. I have some interesting that I would have been like, uh, I think I heard that person on the podcast and I walked by the other <laughs> side. You know, like like even though I want to is like it holds me back. And um, so I just I really appreciate that about you, that you're not afraid to tell people when when something that they've done or said or something that they know that inspires you or or brings more questions or you're just really interested in people and I love I love that about you. Thanks. It's because I think a lot of people are really cool. And <laughs> I'm like I'd like to be like you and you and you. So tell me how to do that. <laughs> no, I, I just really agree that like we just have so many strengths and weaknesses and Heavenly Father has made it so that we can help each other and 
I think it's okay. Like, like I said, I reached out to Hillary and I've never met Hillary to this day. I've still actually never met her, but I'm like, I got questions for you. So I, (laughs) you know, I found out how to get a hold of her, but she was awesome in return. She's like, Oh, I've heard your name, but I've never met you either, you know, and Deb and others. I just, I think there's a wealth of knowledge. I love to learn. And there are so many people that know way more than I do. So when making those connections is so important to people, but I think sometimes we don't know how to do that. And I think you're just really good at at knowing how to do that and make that connection. Connection podcast. As is Jason. Yeah. <laughs> With the yeah. podcast. Yeah. That's a good end point, actually, right <laughs> yeah. there. Um, let's do a little connection trivia, just because we're, we're recapping Ooh, season one. So hey, No cheating, Camille. I was, she's got her phone out. I know right. you can't see this, but she's told her. Oh, right. share the quote. Share the quote. I thought you were cheating, you know, and I'm a, I'm a little competitive. No, so it's just always something I'm... Again, back to the mission on Temple Square down in the – well, they took the building out. It was in the human- – or um, I can't remember what they called it. I think it was part of the humanitarian service building, but on Temple Square. Anyway, it was a Spencer W. Kimball. He says, God does notice us and he watches over us, but it is usually through another person that he meets our needs. Um, that's just something I've always – liked that quote because I can see it work in my life and I can see it work in other people's lives. And I feel like that's kind of what this podcast is all about, just connecting with other people and um, meeting other people's needs. That's good. Concur. All right. Question. There's just a few, but I'm reading off our statistics from season one. So how many countries would you guys guess the connections have been listened to in? There's other countries? Yeah. Ten. Four. There's a lot. I'm not going to say because he tells me. I know. She has an inside (laughs) track. As you said, you got an Uh, inside connection. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, 20. Oh, Oh, your price is writing, Christine. (laughs) Ten? How many? It's 11. Oh. Oh, It's going to go over, so I win. (laughs) I'm impressed. That's awesome. Good job. I'll read them off. They're United States, of course, Switzerland, Philippines, Unknown. Oh, interesting. I don't know where that is. Could be in the ocean. Could Mars. be the aliens. Yeah. I, <laughs> if if we can meet well, the I alien, I'd I'd like to say hi to if them. If you're from Israel, it might have been me because I was listening to you on the bus a lot. Sweden, Canada, Spain, Netherlands, wow, Australia, Mozambique, and Norway. Awesome. Yeah. And does it yeah. count Australia when someone downloads it? Yeah, yeah. Or is it they download it. And yep. hmm, that's crazy. Wait, is that Australia? So how many subscribers do you yes. think we have now? Ooh. You oh, were shooting oh. for 300 last I time. Know, I was going to say like 285. That's 305. 305. 315. 315. 320. It's 311. What? Oh, 315. I guess 315. Oh, you did. You can't go over. And how many total downloads are we at now? On every platform, so you're adding them every all together. Every platform, yep. Um, speaking of platforms, which platforms are you on? Because I was telling other people about different platforms. Uh, you might find it. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Are you on Google? Google, not anymore. Not anymore on Google. I don't know what happened with that one. Oh, I can't find it on there. No. There's another service we're on too, but I forgot the name of it. Okay. Yeah. I want to say five thousand. 
Man, Christina's wow. like, you're good. Wow. She's like, guessing gives me so much anxiety. All those guessing yeah. games. Like, I cannot play the those. Ju- the jar of Jeff doesn't oh, like jelly it because no, I can't, always guess too high. And he's like, no. That's, that's, that's not even like, like, it's not funny anymore. You overguessed. Yeah. <laughs> you're okay, wrong. Okay. We're moving on. Okay. Nine million. Not impressive. Yeah, nine million. We have them from Who other, else, other planets. Other Who, else? Who else makes a guess? Who else has a guess? Uh, five to 14. You said she's close, so I'm going 4,800. Camille, you want to guess? Or? 4,500. Ooh, 4,500. You, you just like yeah. until after I say yeah. one. I can? Yeah, it's not right here. I don't know. Go six. 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 It's five five thousand five hundred. Oh, <laughs> okay. Wait, who? Wait, hold on. I think I won. Who's the most downloaded episode? Wait, what? Oh, this is like a popularity oh, contest. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I don't think so. I think it's a Is it a one. female or a male? It's a male. Oh, mm. is it our first episode? Jordan's. Durfee. I know, I was going to say. Oh, yeah, Durfee's would Glamis. be good. Safe. No, I say Jeff's because I've heard a lot, like, even... Maybe Yeah, this woman in our word was like, I told my kids because they went to his school when his pants were on fire. <laughs> <laughs> No. I got Dave Glass. Dave Glass. Yeah. I still haven't been able to listen to that one. It's Jeff Fuller at Jeff. three three hundred and ten. Or three hundred and twelve. I I was gonna say the longest one, but I can't get it to show up on here. I know the shortest. Although I feel it was probably the one we did with your mom, Tina. I think so. That, <laughs> that was so fun. How many times has Taylor Swift been, been mentioned? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, guys. It just got mentioned. Should I play one more clip for you guys? That oh, sure. There was there was a very short lived episode. <laughs> no, we had to eat it so fast. <laughs> oh, this, this was April Fools. Yep. Oh yeah. Over half of all Americans call themselves Taylor Swift fans, according to Morning Consult. In fact, Taylor Swift's eras is forecast to become the highest grossing tour of all time. This could considerably add to her already sizable wealth made from music sales from albums like Midnight's and strategic business movies in the music industry, WSJ. Explores how the prolific pop star amasses her fortune. Swiss record-breaking streams and vinyl sales got lots of money. Taylor's rocky relationship with Spotify and Apple Music was a great tragedy. How music labels like Universal and Big Machine and Swift are make more money from her songs than she does. How is that fair? How tours are huge revenue streams for artists. She's got so much money, she can't even count it all. <laughs> and if you got this far, April, April Fools! All right, what you just heard there was a very special April Fools episode, and the voice is actually Tina Marchant's mom, Cindy, and you also heard the voice of my oldest son and my youngest son, who couldn't wait to join in once we started discussing the trivia and the special 
April Fool's Taylor Swift episode that only about 11 people listen to. Anyway, I, I hope you enjoyed going through the greatest hits of The Connection Season 1. I, I wish, I wish we could have gotten to so many more clips and episodes because we just love every interview that we've done and, and we're so excited about the season to come. I, I have to tell you guys, we've got some new series that we're planning on. I'm, I'm going to give you a little more details coming up, but it's going to be a great season. Say it. So buckle up. It's going to be a great ride. Till next time. Bye.